0: welcome to beyond politics broadcast on wkxl available wherever you get your podcasts i'm matt robeson i do hope you'll check out all of our podcasts at beyondpoliticspodcast.com you can also find us on the wkxl website and of course on facebook at beyond politics i hope that if you're listening to this you've subscribed and left us a five-star rating and review speaking of reviewing things online, that's one of the ways you can really help out the content that you enjoy. And to that end, I'm very happy to be hosting today, really an outstanding creative mind who has just launched his very first novel I'm excited about it. More important, my daughter, who's 10 years old and is right in his target demographic. is very excited about it. As we ease into the summer reading period, I thought there would be nothing better than to cover an exciting new book. Victor Pinheiro is a creative director at HBO Max, which by the way, sounds like a much cooler job than I have. He's collaborated on a soon to be announced feature. We can have him back when that feature is dropped. He also has now launched his new and first book, time villains amazon has labeled it a best book of the month of july 21 the kirkus reviews starred review says that pinero scores with this tale of friendship magic and adventure calls it magnificent and publishers weekly says that pinero's writing offers plenty of humor as well as clever historical and literary easter eggs for readers to puzzle out victor i i'm salivating here in a literary sense Uh, way to go are you excited about all this
1: Thank you so much for having me. Yes, incredibly excited. This is definitely the product of a lot of work and decades of trying to make this a real thing. So
0: (laughs) quite excited. Well, I'm excited for you. I I guess I just want to start out. So I I kind of gave just a, a snapshot of your bio. You've done a lot of creative work, more on kind of the commercial side. What prompted you to kind of step out of and do what I think many of us have dreamed of doing? So you know what? just gonna write a novel i'm gonna write something fun for for young adults what what set you off down that path
1: yeah i actually you know so writing a novel was actually it's been the lifelong dream since i was maybe five or six and honestly the goal so i think you know i had a pretty uh severe inner critic that kept me from writing something that length so in you know in my 20s i ended up writing uh, you know i worked on documentaries for a while and and writing documentaries and, and some films and uh, and from there, when you know, real life arrived with you know a wife and kids. I I did kind of go the marketing route. Ended up doing a lot of kind of in the world of social media. I uh, I launched Skittles and I I ran YouTube for seven years, uh, social media. But in all that, you know, the goal never went away. I was just trying to figure out how do I realistically write a book when I, I it seems so impossible. And so about I guess gosh 2014, whatever that was. Um, in 2014, I kind of tricked myself into writing my first book, and it was like a very experimental one that was just kind of like barely even qualifies as a novel. But once I'd done it, I said, okay, I've, I've written a book. Now I can write a more traditional one. So the, the last few years, I've really been focused on this one. And that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's where I kind of ended up with it.
0: So for people who are maybe daydreaming a little bit about going down the, the road you went down, do you have any advice for them about what it takes to kind of silence that inner critic or kind of give yourself the get up and go. And I and I mean I know I'm larding three questions together here, but whatever. You know, and what about achieving the balance? I imagine you didn't stop your other work and being a husband and father. So how about advice for fitting it all in?
1: Yeah, God, I'd love to. I it was it was it was really interesting how it ended up happening. So honestly the the biggest advice I can give and this is what kept me back. I feel like I would have written a book a decade at least earlier if I'd known this is I had this very naive concept that you either had to be a full-time writer or you had to have hours and hours to write a book. And then I read this interview with Murakami, the author, and he said he wrote his first book about 30 minutes to an hour a day. And that just completely blew my mind. And that may, that might sound naive to a lot of people, but at the time I just didn't think that was something that could be done or I thought that it would take, you know, 20 years at that rate. So I said, you know what? Like, I don't, you know, to your point, like, you know, I have kids, I have a wife, I have a pretty intense job, but I can carve out my commute. I did luckily have a pretty long commute on a train. So I said, okay, I have 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the afternoon. It's going to be a lot of quick context switching, but let me just see what happens. And I was able to write a lot of this book and the one before it on this commute. So my my biggest piece of advice is you can find a little pocket of time. A little pocket is enough a lot of the time. I do hope in the future to have a little bit more time to write than than the commute, but it's worked so far.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the book itself. It's called Time Villains. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'll let you give the nutshell summary. So what's it about?
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of based around that classic question. If you can invite any three people to dinner, living or dead, who would it be? So it kind of starts there. And it's the story of Javi Santiago. He's this sixth grade Puerto Rican kid, aspiring chef, kind of a zany, semi-neurotic kid who's really fun to write, not doing great at school. And so what he really has to focus on is getting... Uh, a good grade in english and he has this homework assignment that comes in it happens every year it's kind of strange and mysterious why The homework assignment repeats every year at the school, but it is that any three people assignment. So when he goes home to do the assignment with his best friend and his sister, long story short on this one, basically they've acquired this mysterious table at a flea market, which is kind of like, in retrospect, I think like a very dumb, magical thing to have, but it's there. And- uh, Well,
0: everyone needs a MacGuffin in their book, right? Exactly.
1: I'm very, very clear about making it a MacGuffin. (laughs) So, So all of a sudden the guests that they invite- just appear in front of them. And because his best friend pranked him, one of the guests is Blackbeard. So all of a sudden they have, you know, what some would consider the world's, if not worse, at least most kind of flamboyant villain in history to contend with. And, and then when they start figuring out, well, how do we get help? This guy's wreaking havoc all over town. What do we do? The book kind of starts really unfolding when they realize that, oh, you know, without revealing too much, the faculty at their school, they slowly come to realize isn't quite from around here. And as they get deeper, deeper into the mystery
0: of the school, that's
1: kind of like what blows open the
0: the book. So there's old writer's advice, write what you know. Now, clearly, I, I'm, I'm guessing that this is not uh, autobiographical. This didn't actually happen to you. But I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here. In looking at the Publisher's Weekly Review, in which it alludes to the clever historical and literary Easter eggs that you were, managed, you were able to layer into your book, I, I'll reveal to our listeners that one of the ways that you and I connected is we both have the same alma mater. We went to a small liberal arts college, Swarthmore College, which I happen to think is uh, you know, the best school on earth. And but one of the hallmarks of that experience, and look, lots of great colleges like it, is that liberal arts experience, that breadth of historical exposure and different different disciplines of study. Was that a helpful grounding as you try to? I mean, you're you're writing what you know, you don't actually experience going to dinner with blackbeard but were you able to draw from that kind of a broad educational experience in filling up the the pages of this book
1: you nailed it you know that's funny you say it yeah i think what was the most fun about the book is so you know without revealing too much there's a lot of historical and literary figures in it and it is a series so i have you know, I have a spreadsheet with like over a hundred more ideas of who I want to bring into this. And it's exactly that. It's it's kind of a way for me to nerd out and kind of go back to the books and the historical periods that I find really interesting and I found interesting, you know, in, in college and re-explore them, you know, and 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 like you mentioned, there's a lot of Easter eggs in there. And there's you know some Easter eggs that are a little bit more obscure, which I think people our age would kind of get a kick out of like, oh, this is a kind of like not a very famous person, but you're clearly talking about this person. And I hope to keep doing that in each of the books because, you know, I I think that's really uh, what made the book so much fun to write.
0: That is one of the hallmarks of successful young adult fiction these days is that it has that multi-layer approach where it can be appreciated by your target demographic. It can also be appreciated by the slightly older demographic. How much were you writing to the younger audience versus the older audience?
1: Ooh, such a good question. So, you know, it's really interesting, the balance. So I think what was really in, in writing it is that I was a teacher for six years, an elementary school teacher. So it really for a lot of the, this kind of level of audience. So what I was trying to do was, it was three audiences. It was the kids. And, you know, I'm, as so many people who write this kind of, you know, I'm definitely like a kid at heart. So I had plenty of that, but also, you know, I taught and I always struggled to find books that were really fun to read out loud. And when I found it, I got really excited about it. So one challenge I had for myself is let's try to make this a book that's really fun to read out loud. And then the third one to your point is kind of like a non-teacher adult who just might be reading this to their kids and might be hopefully having a little fun as they notice all of the Easter eggs I planted in for.
0: Now, clearly you did a little bit of market research here in your experience of being a teacher. Maybe that wasn't your intent at the time. You also mentioned that you're a parent. How much did your parenting experience inform your writing experience? And were your kids helpful critics along the way?
1: Yeah. My kids are young. So it was, they're, they're starting to get helpful now for this next one for sure. You know, so my oldest is about to turn four and my youngest is I think three weeks old
0: today before. <laughs> so the three week old was not as helpful. Right. A little bit less, <laughs> okay. markedly less,
1: but yes, he was helpful in terms of kind of keeping me honest. And I think now that he's older for the next one, he's trying to understand kind of the concepts of the book. And I'm like,
0: okay, I'm going to, I'm going to test some of this stuff by you. <laughs> what kind of a reaction? are you hoping, let's say you're picturing, I don't know, a kid like my daughter, right? Who's enjoyed some of the, the big hits in this genre, the the lightning thieves and the Harry Potters and et cetera. What, what are you hoping that someone like her will experience or take away in reading this book? What's kind of in your mind's eye? Do you, Do you think that there's sort of an aha moment for them that you're really hoping that they'll have?
1: Yeah, I am. I So what I'm hoping, and we'll see, is I hope that a lot of kind of use this as a little bit of a gateway book, which is, I hope there's enough characters in there that they pick one or two that they like, and they say, you know what, I'm going to go try this other book, you know, because there's all sorts of stuff in there from the classics, there's, you know, there's some Wizard of Oz in there, there's some Alice in Wonderland in there, there's also a ton of different historical figures, and a few other fictional ones peppered in. What I'm hoping is either it gets them into reading another book, or they, you know, might remember them as they get older and they say, "Wait a second, this isn't the first time I've seen so and so," or like, you know, "Oh, this brings me back to this other book." So that's that's kind of my hope. There's a there's even a section at the end of the book that kind of it's called the the main character's best friend is called Wiki and it's called Wikispedia. and so it's all the characters you 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 read in the book that aren't mysterious
0: a little bit more information about them. Oh, it's such a good idea. That really is such a good idea. You know, I was just. I was actually just talking to my daughter about this the other day that and maybe it was in the context of watching the spelling bee and what an advantage it is to just read to just be well read as a kid, because that's the way you run into words and you don't understand them the first time you probably think you understand them the second time you really don't. But it's that kind of continual exposure. It's the same thing with history and science and all the concepts you eventually need to build up is you sort of run into them. I mean, you mentioned being a teacher. Do you have something of an educational goal in mind here since you've brought in so much historical reference?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's where that that teacher part of me kind of comes in where I think there's aspects of this that definitely feel like a teacher wrote this just in terms of it is a little bit of like sneaking in education. Like it's a, it's a, honestly the it's written in kind of a very it's first person. He's kind of like a pretty zany narrator. So it's it's written in a in kind of hopefully a fun way. But a lot of what it's about is kind of bringing people in it. You know, it's funny. I was talking to some librarians a few weeks ago and it dawned on me. I said, you know, this book is kind of propaganda for libraries because the, you know, the (laughs) most interesting scenes take place in libraries. And so there's, there's a lot of that in there.
0: (laughs) Right. Kind of the same way Hermione Granger is a walking uh, advertisement for libraries. So if you could have dinner with any three historical figures, living or dead, who would you choose and why?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I need a better answer for this question. I think that My honest answer, and I, it's, so I'm a big poetry fiend. That's kind of my thing, even more than prose. So I would love to meet Walt Whitman. I would love to meet Julia de Burgos, who is like the Puerto Rican version of Walt Whitman. And then if it's the same rules as the table in my book and you can go fiction, then I'd have to pick like one of the crazy, like Gandalf or Aslan or one of the really mystical, insane ones just to have that person at a dinner party.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I. You know, one of the nice things about your whole setup here is that it sort of forces you to, to think about the question for yourself. I mean, are you, not that I'm trying to overly do a sales job to other parents, but, you know, obviously most of the people who are going to be doing the purchasing here are the parents. Is there something you'd, you'd want to get across to them that, that you thought of both as an author and as a parent as you were writing the book that you think kind of recommends this book as an experience for their kid that that you know you sort of had in mind as you know what this is the kind of thing that i would want a friend to give as a present to to my kids
1: yeah that's a that's a, oh god that's a good question so uh a few different things i think i think there is the angle in terms of having this be kind of a gateway book exposing them to a lot of different um characters and and books and, and historical periods within it i think another aspect also is when it came to choose all of these characters, something that was really interesting was I was trying to be, you know, you look at the other classics in the genre, like Bill and Ted's and Adventure from a long time ago. There's a little bit of Ready Player One in terms of the mashup. I was trying to be pretty responsible with it and try to figure out, like, how do I get the most kind of representative people in this book? We're looking at a lot of different mythologies and, and cultures and, and writings. So... I think I I did an okay job at that. I'm continually to try to do that. So I think it is a pretty representative book there. And I like that it kind of opens people's up and broadens broadens people's experiences there. I also think what I was trying to do is, you know, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. So a lot of this comes from, there's a lot of Puerto Rican culture and recipes in there. So I think exposure in that way to a different culture, I tried to make it kind of as honest as possible. It also not let it take away from any of the fun. He's still this zany kid. He just happens to have all these really fun, funny, very idiosyncratic. Puerto Ricans have some really (laughs) kind of out there customs. So to kind of weave those in, in a way that felt fun, but kind of, you know, it might broaden the kid as well a little bit.
0: You mentioned earlier that part of the process of getting going was having a conversation with your inner critic and we've all got one. Now I do a fair amount of writing myself and I have long, detailed conversations with my inner critic. I'm, I'm, I usually don't win the arguments, but there's a balance to be had there, right? You, ha- you have to sort of win the argument with your inner critic, but your inner critic is also may have things to say from time to time. How did you strike that balance? Were there times that you found, you know, I just went down a road here and maybe I'm right to doubt myself and I need to go down another road?
1: Yeah that and you know that honestly is same here in terms of those long conversations I rarely win I, the, that's the other piece of advice I think I'd give to somebody trying this at least again that's another piece of advice that would have saved me a, a lot of trouble and one of that is I didn't realize how how low I should set the bar for my first draft and then secondly I didn't realize how fun revisions were. So I always dreaded revisions. So I always thought, I'm just going to write a book that I don't have to revise too many times. And that's obviously the the opposite way you should go about it. I, you know, in reading a lot of different books and talking to a few different authors, I realized, no, 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 like allow anything to come out for that first draft. Do not be precious at all and be okay with having a very kind of garbagey first draft and mine actually very much was. And then, you know, you know, I'm not going to guarantee it, but like I actually found revising very fun, which is fortunate, right? Because it's like 90% of what you do as a writer. But, But that was kind of my, my take as well, which is, you know, like you said, like there's so many times that I was kind of led myself down a bad path. And I think it was for the first time in writing, I allowed myself to, rather than shut yourself off before you go down the path, write it out. So you have it and then sit on it for a little bit and reread it and then choose a different path. Because I think my issue before, and I know a lot of people like me have the issue is you just don't write anything at all. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of, to your point, you're like, you lose the battle with the inner critic and you don't even try. And then it's like, all right, well, I've, I've written nothing. So
0: Let's stipulate for a second, for political purposes, that your actual editor was the best, was the absolute best editor you had, could ever have, could ever wish to have. Who was your second best editor? Who gave you the most help along the way, the most kind of honest feedback that that pushed you along? Or was it yourself?
1: That's great. So I would combine my agent and editor in that most best, 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 best number one because my agent's an incredible editor too. But second best... You know, that one is honestly it's a tie between my brother and my best friend. I do this thing where I send them the first drafts and both of them have a way of finding something that unlocks the book where it's like, "Oh, you thought your book was about this." And in a conversation I have with them, either they figured it out or they like lead me to discover like, "Oh, wait a second, this book should actually be about this bigger thing." So, they were both really helpful when it came to editing. And you know, that's that's one of the trickiest things I find in that for the first book, I had so I was so fortunate to have so many people you know, raise their hands and want to read it. But now that I'm on my third book, I'm thinking, okay, I I want to stop bugging the same people to keep reading all these drafts. So I think finding some really good friends and and relatives or whoever might be who you really respected is their taste and having them give you their honest feedback is just, you know, the most helpful thing in the world. And again, my back when I used to make documentaries, my brother had this great rule, which was if two people give you the same feedback, you always should act on that feedback. So that's always kind of like the golden rule for me. If I hear it twice from anybody, then okay, I have to, re-examine.
0: Now, you've clearly hit a home run here in terms of the reviews you're getting. And look, it's not me saying it. They're right there. Is there anything though, now that you're you're through the process, the book is out, is there anything that's, that's nagging at you that you kind of wish you could have gone back and oh, maybe I wish I'd done this just a little bit differently?
1: Ooh, such a great question. Let's see. So I think the... The good thing is because it's a series, some of those ideas. So if this was a single book, there would be there would be a lot of that because I would think, oh, I could have invited this person, and wouldn't it be clever if I invited that person and I put them together? But for that sort of thing, I can I can kind of explore that in the upcoming ones. And the other thing I think is, you know, I my next book is the polar opposite of this one, at least the one I'm working on. You know, it's a it's a YA book and it's kind of a pretty serious book about mental health and all sorts of things. So in terms of wishing you do something different, I feel like I'm poor all the energy I had in that bucket into my next book where I'm just trying something completely different to, to kind of satiate that part of my brain.
0: The book is Time Villains. It is one of the best reviewed new books of the year, certainly in the young adult class. And it sounds like it's got plenty in there, not just for young adults, but for parents, for older adults or people who are just young at heart as well. Victor Pinero, thank you so much for being with us on Beyond Politics.
1: Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure.